welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Boss, again, I'm going to be your host. Today we're welcoming Kieran McCarthy from The Register, and before we get started, I want to acknowledge that this is going to be one of those episodes that takes a slight deviation from the normal positivity that we see on Hungry Trilobite. And the reason for that is, sometimes positivity has to come in the form of calling out behaviors that might result in outright scam behavior in our hobby. We know that fandom does tend to bring out the worst in some people, especially people who get into it just for the purposes of greed. And there's good ways and bad ways of calling that out. I think Kieran's was one of the best, and I want to get started right now. On tap today, we have Kieran McCarthy. How are you doing? Good, sir. I'm good. I am so glad to have you here. Uh, you are a talent with the Register. That's right. And uh, I, some of my viewers are not going to be super familiar with your work or this topic. So give me just a second to kind of give a very top level basic explanation. And then I'd like you to fill in whatever details you think are most relevant. Okay. Sure. Okay. So I, I got to know your work through this project called the Atari VCS. Um, and people who don't follow this stuff might think of Atari as this company that made a video game system 40 years ago. That's not who I'm talking about. Uh, the company we now call Atari is basically three guys who bought the rights to the name on the cheap and decided to market a new game system. And what they delivered was, to make a long story short, a barely functioning computer with some very unimpressive software on it. And I'd like you to kind of take over from that because what you did was you actually talked to the people and had some very interesting conversations with them. Uh, I did. Um, well, I mean, where do you begin? You begin when it got announced, which was um, during the summer 2017. And, um, and I, I don't often write about uh, games and games consoles, but, you know, like a lot of people, um, you know, I had an Atari when I was a kid. And, um, and I heard that they've got the, you know, they're bringing out a new Atari box, they call it at the time, this sort of uh, retro console. And I thought that was a fun story. Uh, and I knew that the, the sort of the readers, the register readers would be interested. So I wrote this little piece when they announced it. I was a little skeptical, but I, you know, I figured it was almost certainly going to be like um, uh the console that uh, the NES classic console that they came out with, they basically came out. You remember the NES classic was these classic consoles from my youth and they came out with one. I thought, Oh, they'll do that. That's actually a pretty good idea. Um, it had cost 60 bucks or something. Um, and so, so I wrote a story about it. I was a little skeptical seeing as I looked into Atari and I thought, I'm pretty sure Atari died a while ago. So I looked at it and, and it had, I mean, and it was pretty much an IP company, but I thought if they're smart about this, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to build a new games console. Um, a little complicated, but it's all, there's emulators out there. They could do it and make it look nice and everyone would get a bit of nostalgia, could be fun. They've got the IP rights for the Atari games, so why not? So that was, the, so I thought this would be a fun, it was just a little story. And then um, they sort of put out some updates on it, which were a little odd. So I dug into it a little bit deeper and I realized that, oh, hang on, there's something not right about this. They started talking about how it was going to be the same as a, as a PC console. Uh, it was going to be sort of have 4K and it was going to, and I thought that's a, that's a crazy idea, especially with the PlayStation coming up, which was then going to be a, a year away. Um, 
and you know the the new Xbox. And I thought that's absolutely crazy. What are they thinking? That's not going to work. They need to do this retro console. But anyway, that's up to them. And then they announced they were going to be at uh, the games developer. Con- oh no! Then they announced they were going to launch, which I thought was highly improbable, given that this is a piece of hardware, and uh, it's quite a lot of work to produce a piece of hardware. And they were they reckon they were going to launch it within six months. I thought there's no way this is going to happen. And sure enough, it didn't. So literally the day before they said they were going to launch, they cancelled it. So that was a huge red flag. And I thought, well, that's that idea. That's dead. And then a few months after that, 2018, they said, oh, we're going to be at the Games Developer Conference in San Francisco. So I, my interest was piqued. So uh, I thought, oh, well, I'll go. And obviously, you know, uh, I'm, we're based in the Bay Area, or our offices. So it was actually quite simple. If it had been one of the Games Developer con- well, one of the other games conferences across the world i wouldn't have bothered but seeing as it was in san francisco which is my backyard i thought i'll go and find out and that's when i ended up sort of in this not in the actual games conference but in this suite in the hotel the marriott just sort of over the road from moscone which i immediately thought was odd and it was just inside a hotel room and the implication was that you know there would be this prototype then I had the strangest conversation with the Atari CE, COO, Michael Arts. Um, and it very quickly dawned on me that this guy didn't know what the hell he was doing at all. I mean, at all. And so, so I had this weird conversation where I went, you know, I thought, oh, this would be fun and sat down and I said, and none of it worked. I mean, at all. And it was just a box and it was quite a heavy box. And I said, so what's in it? And he, he couldn't tell me. I asked basic questions, you know, what's the interface? He couldn't tell me. How's this work? Couldn't tell me. Uh, then they picked up the control and it was literally a molded piece of plastic. And then the, uh, and then the, then there's the classic Atari controller. So I picked that up and I said, oh, cause it moved. Does this work? No. Well, they, <laughs> so I just kept asking questions. And it very became very clear very quickly that he had absolutely no idea what he was doing. Uh, he <laughs> was talking about, he was saying this was, you know, like trying to launch, uh, he was talking about NASA. And I said, this isn't NASA, this is a, this is a games console. And then how he couldn't, he couldn't show me things and uh, they were thinking about getting a new chip and all this stuff, which I imagine would if people were excited about it and didn't really know much about hardware or product development or technology, i.e. weren't a tech journalist, um, that they might go for. I mean, he was sort of excited about it, winging it a bit. But when he literally couldn't answer any questions at all, I thought, this is a total bust. These guys, they don't know what they're doing. They just, they put out an idea and they got a lot of interest and they did. They raised millions of dollars on uh, Indiegogo. And so I thought, they don't know what they're doing. So I wrote a, an article basically saying, this is never gonna happen. This is, this is a disaster. The COO doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and they got very upset about that. Uh, I didn't realize until months later, I imagined they'd been upset by it, but that's not my problem. Uh, except then someone sent me a, a, a message months later, which said they, they are um, calling you a troll on their Facebook page. So someone, so they, they're launching again, trying to get more money for this concept, which they clearly hadn't even started. And, um, 
and uh, someone found my article and said, can you explain this, why your COO doesn't understand any of these fundamental factors? And they, so they wrote this response, which was, well, they, I suppose you something like you get irresponsible trolls. And it really, really uh, slagged off my article saying that I had written a story that I wanted to write rather than one that was actually happened or discussed. So this got uh, under my skin as a professional journalist, but fortunately I'd recorded the whole thing. So I, so I dug out, fortunately I, I still had it. I, I mean, I have tapes of most of my interviews. So I dug out the interview and uh, we posted a story in which I just put the full interview up audio and it was quite good audio because I had, uh, I had a good recording device. And I also split it up. And so each bullet point where, you know, I just went through each bullet point of my story and put the audio underneath it. Basically, I wrote exactly what happened. So at that point, <laughs> that imagine Atari was very irritated, but you can't go around accusing professional journalists of being trolls, especially when you've got a tape of it. So from that point on, I thought, right, I would just follow this thing to the death. And, uh, and so every couple of months, it would occur to me, oh, I wonder what's happening with, with the Atari VCS. So that's what I did. Every couple of months, I would look in and basically write a story going, oh, my God, it's got worse. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And the, the price point kept going up to the point where it was almost the same as a, as a new PlayStation. And then the specs wouldn't come out. This and then the, when the specs did come out, it was so woefully underpowered. It was clearly not going to be able to do anything. And then um, I heard a rumor that they were having major production problems. So I started reaching out to people, and found out that the guy that they'd hired um, to do the the basic design, the entire box, um, had just quit. So he'd quit, and so I so I, I um, contacted him uh, and said I'd like to know what's going on. He couldn't tell me a lot was going on, but he said, I have quit because they haven't paid me for six months. So, um, so then once I realized this was a total fiasco, um, I, uh, I called up everybody that was connected to Atari to find out what was going on. And I got the lowdown on what the actual system was going to do and how far it progressed. And it was a mess, you know, it's a, it was a big mess. But I didn't think that it was, um, I didn't think that they wouldn't ever put anything out. There were some people online at this point who said it was a scam. They reckoned it was a scam. I never thought it was a scam. I just thought they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And they didn't. Uh, and eventually it sort of launched, uh, having said they were going to launch it a couple of times, it sort of launched in the end. And it's exactly what, it's exactly what, everyone that followed it closely thought it would be, which is an unfortunately underpowered Linux box with a not great user interface and no original games. And, you know, I feel, I feel kind of sorry for people that spent a lot of money getting one. But, you know, some of them, I've, I've tracked them online. Some of them seem quite happy with it. So that's good. But, I mean, what a wasted opportunity. It really is. And... There's so much to unpack there, and there's not a whole lot of people who are taking the position that you are taking that this is not a typical launch. There's a lot of things here that should have been red flags. I mean, just, just for the start of it, this practice of going to a major convention and not actually purchasing space there at the convention, yeah. 
but instead going to a hotel room across the street. It's not unheard of, but it's generally considered to be an, an unseemly thing to do. It's just not what you would do no. if you were a professional company. No one, only the shadiest people will set themselves up adjacent to a conference without anything in the actual conference. Now, I mean, I go to conferences or used to before the pandemic all the time. And uh, yes, executives will set up in a, in a hotel suite away from the conference center for one-on-one interviews. It's much quieter. You can arrange it. You've got a space. You know, it's, that makes perfect sense. But you never launch a product in a hotel room. You know, you if you, especially if you're building around a conference, you get a you get an ex- exhibition and you you show your customers. So immediately that I realized I was going to a suite in a hotel and not to the actual conference itself, I was suspicious. And I mean, I remember in their original marketing materials when it was still the Atari Box was something to the effect of play, game, and stream like never before. And yeah. what they delivered was not only what had come before, it was something you could have put together in your garage out of spare parts if you had a mind to do it. They were always promising far more than they could even hope to deliver. I, I think they didn't know what, what they were going to do. They put out this concept. I'm pretty sure uh, that it started because, you remember when Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner was announced and they had the big trailer and everyone was very excited about that. And obviously, you know, one of the most famous bits is the Atari logo in Blade Runner, weirdly, because it's actually only a very small part of it, but it's just a famous scene. And they've really amped that up in the new trailer. So I think Fred Chesney, who is now Atari CEO, saw that and thought, oh my God, here is a perfect opportunity. And he was right. Uh, And then if you think about it, running a retro Atari box, especially if you kept the wood paneling that was that thing, it was actually a really smart idea. Um, So the concept was really good. I think. And um, so they put it out there and it took off obviously much more than they thought it would. Um, And then of course it must've dawned on them. Oh my God, we actually have to build a games console and building a games console is sounds easy, but it's not, it's just not to build a whole uh, console with hardware, custom hardware. It's that's a difficult thing. And they haven't the slightest idea how to do it. They are, they're not hardware guys, they're marketing guys always have been marketing guys. So there was immediately a big ask and they just, they didn't do a good job of it. They wanted to find an easy route. Uh, and, you know, and then they put an Indiegogo and they raised millions of dollars and I thought they couldn't believe their luck. And at some point, and I'd love to talk to them about it, but I doubt if they'll ever be honest about it. At some point they went from what they should have done, which was create a retro box and sell it and just recognize that that's, that's their market to deciding they were going to create their own games console. I have like proper games console and I have no idea what happened in that meeting. That was such an obviously terrible decision, uh, which makes me think that there's only, only two, three people actually deciding this, but that was an obviously terrible decision. And that's why it was, it took years to come to market. And when it did come to market, it was overpriced and underpowered. I can speculate as to what would happen and how that came to be. Um, I mean, my personal thought is that they just decided that they wanted to get $300 for each box <laughs> and they just worked backwards as to what they'd have to cram in there 
to justify that price tag. It's very possible. It's very possible. The logic of it is was so faulty that it can only it can it can it can only have been driven by greed. It just it just doesn't make sense to have gone the route they went. And you know, and it was so obvious it wasn't even wasn't even difficult. It's not like you're, uh, you know, your under my understanding of the games market is outstanding. It's not. I'm not a games journalist. I don't spend all that time digging into the workings. But it was pretty obvious that this was a a bad decision. So yeah, I think you're the the most logical explanation is they just thought why charge sixty bucks when we could charge two hundred bucks. That's the only obvious explanation for it. And the fact that you're not jet per se a games journalist, if that's not your your bread and butter, that just underscores the point I was trying to go for earlier is that it wasn't difficult to recognize just how poorly this was run by even a layperson. No. We're in an age now where electronics developments is kind of a part of our lives. We all want to, you know, when's the new phone coming out? Because my old one's got a cracked screen. And I just, we kind of have a sense for how these things happen. And even the most non-technical person could say, if they want to launch this thing in six months and don't even have specs written down, yeah. that's a problem. Well, I mean, I, I'm not a games journalist, but I am a tech journalist and I've been for a long time. And I have covered, I don't know how many hundreds of product launches. And uh, yeah, so, so I mean, I, I distinctly remember being impressed, for example, when Google first produced its hardware it had a, and it had a big product launch. And the thing that I was, it did a good, pretty good job, all the, that Google hardware. But the thing that I was impressed with that it, they'd managed to keep it so quiet for so long because... And then I was talking to their to the main guy that they hired, and they'd been working on it for two years, uh, hard two years. Not, you know, I don't know when the concept had been born, but it was probably five years before that. But they'd been working hard on it for two years. So the concept that you would, uh, you know, decide in June to make some hardware and that it would exist in December is so ludicrous. Um, it, you know, and so as a tech journalist, it wasn't even sort of intellectually working it through. It's just like, I've literally never seen anybody do this. Uh, and so there's this company of three people. They claim 10, but it's three. Uh, there is no way they can ever do this. And sure enough, you know, they couldn't. They couldn't. And the weird thing is, like I was saying, we... It was obvious to anybody there were red flags. You pointed them out, but you were one of the very few voices of reason in the wilderness when all the much bigger sites going to try to avoid naming names were just like, yeah, here's what's coming out and here's what Atari says. And they were basically regurgitating the advertising. Why is it coverage like yours was so rare to find when the facts were so clear? Yeah, I don't know. It, I, I despair a little. I mean, the tech journalism has, tech journalism has always been um, frustrating, especially in the United States, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm sort of, I'm from the UK. So I was tech journalist in the UK for many, many years before I moved over to, to the U S and the UK is a little more aggressive with its journalism, a little bit more skeptical, uh, in the U S in uh, across journalism, I would say there is much, there's this much, uh, looser approach where you sort of give the corporation the benefit of the doubt. There's this sort of willingness to cheerlead, to be excited about products. Uh, whereas in Europe, it's a little bit more um, cynical, a little bit more critical. So there is that, but the games industry in particular 
does seem to be pretty poor in the sense that people rarely apply critical uh, thinking to what happens. There's a lot of cheerleading that happens in the games press. Now, what I what I would say, which I found was an eye opener to me, was I ended up talking to various YouTubers, and the YouTubers were pretty good on this. In fact, some of them were excellent on uh, the critical aspects of this. But in terms of the the traditional online press used to be magazines, etc. It amazed me, amazed me that they would keep writing these stories uh, that were glowing. Uh, and even when Atari, Atari just kept pushing out press releases over the two years, three years. And every time they did, it was just written about non-critically. And even though the simplest Google search would have brought up my articles pointing out all the flaws with it, there was just this willingness to just write happy nonsense, which I I can only assume is because you you sort of if you are in that business, um, you're sort of dependent on companies giving you the information, uh, and they're a little aggressive about it sometimes. They definitely are aggressive in the tech industry. They will cut you off uh, if you do something that they don't like. This happens all the time. The registers got blacklisted by Apple, uh, and at various times other big tech companies uh, because they they think that that's their their leverage their power they get you to write something you know sort of less critical and they do this all the time the games industry is because it's quite a tight industry it's harder to get information unless you have the companies on your side so i think what they where they end up doing is they're so reliant on the actual companies for information and pictures and videos and interviews and 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 the latest information that um, I think they end up realizing they can't be, or there's no value in being critical. And then I think they re- they end up after a long period of time, just uncritically producing stuff uh, that is shiny. And if it gets the hits and gets the advertisers, mm. then I'm sure they they can justify that to themselves. But yeah, you're right. The the lack of critical thinking in the tech press in the games press was pretty depressing. It was pretty obvious this was bad. And there were a few carefully skeptical stories, but a huge number of simple cheerleading stories. But that said, the guys that really shone and did a better job than me were the YouTubers who follow this all the time. And um, some of them were extremely caustic and quite funny. And I ended up subscribing to their feeds because, you know, and. I like I like gaming, but I'm not a massive gamer. I do like to play games occasionally, but I ended up subscribing to come to some of these guys' feeds because they were really good. They were they were doing as close to journalism as 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 I was doing, uh, a little bit more entertainment and sort of personality driven. But sure, I mean that's YouTube. So they I will I'll call them out. They 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 did a good job. Um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Pat the NES, NES punk and. Um, uh, Tech Review USA, those guys, they did good. They did good. But no, mainstream games press, you know, C. I'd give them a C. I'd uh, definitely give Pat and uh, Ian a, a tap pat on the shoulder there. Ian's actually been on the show. So, yeah, uh, big fan of those guys. They're good. And uh, even going back to the very early days of the Atari box, which is now three years ago, I want to say. Yeah. I'm, 
it it wasn't our first rodeo. This this was a movie we had seen before. There was the Coleco Chameleon, yeah, and the Polly Mega had already been announced, and I think the there were even going to be whispers of the Amico very soon. And this there was a pattern that nobody was seeing, is that like you just said, these guys would come out and they would be pushing information out there. They would be literally shoving it down every media path they could find until somebody would ask a critical question and then they were too busy. They were working mm -hmm. on stuff. They couldn't be reached for comment. And this was almost to a T. It was like the same person was running all the, these projects because the behavior was the same. And yet nobody would draw the connection that the same result's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's just it's just gamers get excited uh, about stuff. It's just the sort of the mindset is to be excited. And there's a kind of there's a kind of and it's quite a nice culture to have in many respects. But no one they have you have the super critical gamer community, and then you have the you have the gamer community that just thinks that everything's you know it's fun. Let let them see what happens. And the thing about games is the magic about games is that you never quite know when something's going to be amazing. And so the beauty of games, it happens, and we could all probably all name the games that it happens to, but you're going, you'll hear about a game and suddenly out of the blue, it appears and it's outstanding. And then you, you dedicate a huge chunk of your life for the next couple of months to playing that game. So there's a kind of a magic to games. They're so immersive. And when someone does a good job, they're so remarkable. And they sort of pull you into a world that I think there's just sort of this generalized recognition that people will occasionally pull things out the bag. And so I think gamers always kind of want that to be the case. And so there's a lot of, in some cases, you know, goodwill that shouldn't be there. So I think a lot of, a lot of gamers, and I think this is why these bad consoles keep popping up and people keep believing in them is because they might just pull it off. It's that sort of, it's that sort of belief. This might be, you know, the next great thing, and so a lot of people will back that up. So the people who should be torn down, like this Atari VCS, should have fallen over, and everyone should have ignored it and insisted on getting their money back. But because people wanted it to believe that they might just pull it off, every time they did something, they got more backing, you know. And uh, and there's no shortage of people on the on Reddit forums, et cetera, that keep supporting the Atari, even when it became obvious that it was going to be a mess. They kept supporting it. So I think that's what drives people is that they just know if they can tap that enthusiasm, when the enthusiasm tends to not come with critical thinking, then they can make money. And I think part of them believe it too. Part of them believe that they also might, might pull this off. Um, but the, I mean, it, it is weird how it happens again and again. I have a lot of people asking me to, to weigh in on this um, Amico thing, which looks like another disaster. Um, and so far, I've, I've stayed clear of it because I've, I've seen it before. Um, and that's part of, if I thought this was a, was a new thing, or if I thought it would have much impact, me writing about it, or if it would save people from being ripped off, then I'd weigh in. But I just, if people haven't figured it out by now, they're not going to. I'm not sure exactly where I'm seeing the distinction. Um, but I think with the Atari, because it was a, a bigger brand, yeah. they had a little bit more of the trappings of a, a formal launch. They were, 
I think enough people were just seeing the name and, and writing it off that they, they got their $3 million. I yeah. kind of wish they hadn't, but they did. And there was this thought that they might just take that money and disappear. They managed to get something out and that's, that's all well and good. But I think with the Amico, there are enough things working against it that the, the idea of them just having this runaway Indiegogo is, I, I just don't see that happening. I don't see them having the same level of success before or after they ship that even the Atari VCS did. No, I don't. I don't see it. I mean, let's, the truth is, it's the size of the story because it was Atari and it was Atari, you know, albeit an IP shell of a company. That's a definite story. The the Amico is is a games industry story. Uh, I don't think it's going to come to much at all, and it could just not happen at all. I think Atari is obligated to put something out there, otherwise their entire company would be. You know, people would never trust it again. And also, it's worth pointing out that Atari doesn't just do this. They push literally anything that they can. They came up with uh, this concept of gaming hotels, and they'd have, you know, people would pay to play Atari games in hotel rooms. And everyone, everyone wrote about that as if it was a good idea. It's a rubbish idea. It's a mm-hmm. terrible idea. You know, it's an obviously terrible idea. So they just, and they, people wrote about it. And so, they imagine if you get a lot of press coverage, you think we could do this. Uh, and then they also um, came up with their own cryptocurrency. I mean, that was equally ludicrous. And they could come out with ludicrous branding, anything that sounds fresh and hot. I'm sure Fred Chesney imagines himself to be a great entrepreneur, but I mean, he's doing pretty poorly. In fact, I, should, <laughs> I haven't written it. I should have dug into this more. I spoke to someone who was on a... Uh, talking of wild Atari tangents, who was on a game show that was sponsored by Atari uh, a few years ago. And, uh, it was, <laughs> and it was based on some Atari game. And they were flown out to somewhere and they, had, they did a, a game show, proper game show. And, uh, you know, with contestants, then you'd win an X amount of dollars. And all the contestants on this show ended up having to fight to get what they were, you know, the money that they had won. The whole thing was just appalling. And uh, I spoke to one person, and I don't know why I didn't write up the full story. But um, they even they branded into producing a game show. But every single time, the one connection every time is people have to sue for their money. So uh, uh, the Atari VCS architect had to sue for his money. I don't think he's got it yet. Uh, a previous guy that they worked with that came up with the Atari VCS had to sue for his money and they settled out of court. Uh, these game show people had to sue for their money and when they sued, they got it. And there was another case. Everyone's having to sue Atari. So they come up with grand schemes, implement them. They don't take off and then they don't pay people. That's happened again and again and again. So that's why it was an interesting story. But these other games consoles, will they happen now, there's a strong likelihood that they won't ever exist, not even in a bad, underpowered version. Uh, so I, I don't quite know what drives people to put their money on it. Um, I really don't. But people get excited about stuff. I, I try not to wish ill on any particular project, even when I know it's just a bad idea. I kind of make an exception when I can see obvious intent to deceive, like with the yeah. Coleco Chameleon and the this DVR card and the Jag shells, like 
you're obviously just fooling people to get their money at that point. I don't mind bragging on you. Yeah. When it's a passion project from somebody misguided as it may be, I, I, I hesitate to really just totally punch them in the face. Yeah. But I will advise people, if you think this is cool, if you think it's a great idea and you want one, wait till it's on the shelf and you can just pick it up before you buy one. Yeah. But then see, the thing is, it's always well pitched in the, it's that it's the whole Indiegogo mindset. Um, and um, what's the other one? The other main crowd. It's this concept of you're part of the team and you're making it happen, which I get. It's exciting. Uh, Kickstarter. That's what I was trying to think of. And um, I've done a few Kickstarters in my time. And it's, it's kind of exciting to be part of that. Like I've got this great idea, uh, but I need the money to do it. And that's, there is something really satisfactory about that. And I think if you're a big gamer, there's something really enjoyable about making something happen, giving someone a bit of money and them going and making it happen. So I think that's what people get excited about. And you kind of know when you do it, that it's a punt, you know? So I think there's a whole element of people thinking, uh, am I willing to lose this money to it? And so I think that's why there isn't the same level of outrage that you would imagine there should be. I think people half know in their hearts, it's a bit of a gamble. Uh, and so they're willing to do it. And then of course, it's sort of the strange thing is it turns around a bit at that point, because now they've put their money in. So now they feel the need to defend it. So, mm -hmm. so it's a kind of a strange situation that you end up in. Um, but there's a lot of funny people in the world. I mean, <laughs> well, without sort of naming people, Alina, I'm sure there's, there's passion behind it. I'm sure it's not just this concept of a quick buck. There's real passion there, but people are often, those sorts of people are often not very good at recognizing their own limitations. So uh, if they're feeling particularly florid, they might imagine this situation in which they produce this games console and it takes over and they get bought out by Apple. And I imagine that's what drives, because it requires an enormous amount of energy to launch a product and a company. It is very hard to do. It requires a constant energy. And so I think you have to be that sort of person to willing, especially to create a new thing. But those sorts of people, especially if they don't have, uh, you know, something like a board of directors or even just sort of investors keeping their feet to the fire. If it's just lots and lots of people giving you X number of dollars over Indiegogo, there's no real accountability. So I think those, that type of personality can just go flying off in strange directions. And then criticism feels really harsh to them. So they tend to react badly. And then of course you get someone like me who isn't invested in the actual actual console, but in the story. And that tends to, tends to really get under their skin because I'm just looking at it purely objectively and say, this isn't gonna work. And, um, and the problem is by being objective, it has more value than someone getting upset. Uh, I don't get upset. I'm just being a journalist. So I think that that strange dynamic and I'm a little wary about weighing in on the smaller ones because I know, I know if I did really weigh in, I could really destroy their chances of, of it happening at all. So I'm a little wary of, about weighing in in the same way you're talking about going in all guns blazing. I'm not going to sit and write a, a, uh, a half a story. You know, <laughs> if I do it, I'll write a story 
and I would dig into each aspect of it. And I'm pretty confident that some of these games consoles would not survive that level of scrutiny. So I tend to steer clear unless I think it's important. Yeah, and so you've written several articles on the VCS, each of which I'm going to put in the show notes. So if somebody wants to get follow the story from your perspective, they'll be able to do that. But you're right. You can't just pick and choose your battles. If, if you're, you can't go in halfway. And like I said, I, I could see once when somebody's holding up an empty shell and they're saying, this is our idea for a games console. And, and you're saying it's, it's a hunk of plastic. What specifically are we even talking about here? Yeah. That can be called out. Uh, another, you know, the couple of the others I mentioned, they might not work. They might not be a great idea, but I think that there's at least an effort to build what they say they're going to build. Whether yeah. anybody wants that is a different question, but I'm, I'm not convinced Atari actually intended to go through with this. My thought, and this is just me speculating, was that they were gunning for a buyout. They were trying to make a project that would give them enough of a position to be bought out by another company. And then somebody else will be on the hook to deliver the Atari box. That's, that's not a bad strategy. If I, if I can go back in time and think about it, that was not a bad strategy if that was their strategy. What they should have done if that was their goal was actually produce the damn thing uh, for 60 bucks, 75 bucks, and had it be a success. And then that would have got a lot of attention from people that would have bought them out. Uh, some, you know, some VC company or even just a larger company that thinks we can do something with this brand. Look what they did. But they have to demonstrate, I don't, people, people tend to think that they're going to have some kind of magic, lucky moment in life. But the truth is, even when you're told stories, you know, of like this company bought out this, you know, Facebook bought this company and they're suddenly all millionaires and that there doesn't seem to be much behind it. There is. People have been working extremely hard for years to get to that point. Facebook doesn't go and buy a company because they like the look of it. You know, so I think that people tend to miss that because we don't talk about it. We don't talk about the the real hard work that goes into making these things. And so I think Atari is a little bit, is not really willing to put in the hard work. I think they launch great ideas and then they don't follow through. To have come up, they could have put in real focused attention on this Atari VCS, created a retro box, made it successful, and then sold it. I just don't think they were willing to put in the hard work. And it would have been a lot of hard work. Uh, they just outsourced it. And, you know, that came with a lot of problems. I'm going to completely agree that they, that's, they should have gone the route of having a $60 Atari. I might disagree that it would have been a lot of work if only for one reason. Yeah. It already exists. <laughs> there are already $60 Atari clones on the <laughs> shelf now. I don't see why they couldn't have grabbed one of those, put a oh, special man. packaging in there and called it the Atari box. Do you know what they could have done is they could have bought up all the old boxes. I mean, I think they probably have all the IP rights for all of that stuff. They could have bought it, handed it off to some motherboard manufacturer, said, recreate this, but stick more modern chips in. And then just come up with the, I doubt whether they'd be able to find the old product thing. They've had to have paid for the, the box and everything. They'd had to have redone that. But they could really literally have put a slightly better version of the exact same computer together and sold it with a big markup. That would have been the smart move. I really, I have no idea what they 
were thinking when they decided they would go for a full-on console? If they had taken the equivalent of an Atari flashback with, say, Netflix and Hulu added onto it, throw a 10-cent Ethernet port on there, and maybe, maybe, maybe had the option of adding other games through some means... Maybe it would have hit been ninety nine bucks, and I bet they'd still be in stores today. I don't I, know why. I do you know what? I would probably have bought one of them. Yeah, me too. I'd have bought one. I think the truth of it is, you and I say this because we have some understanding of 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 technology and gaming and hardware. I don't think they have they had any understanding of that at all. Like Michael Arts, when I talked to him at this weird you know hotel meeting, he was talking about. Um, chipsets and I go, oh there's another new chipset coming out and that's even more powerful and I said to him there's always a new chipset that's you don't like it's like he was literally learning about chipsets for the first time in his life and I said there is literally always a new chipset that's the entire market it, you can in six months time there'll be another new chipset you've got to make the call get the specs make the call lock it down this is absolutely basic so when the coo was getting excited about the concept of chipsets i thought this he has no idea what he's doing absolutely no idea so if they'd have been smart about it they would have hired someone who knew what they were doing eventually they did it took them a long time but i just we're assuming that they were more than marketing guys they are marketing guys looking for dollars and that's what that's what happened they ended up making some very bad decisions it's a shame it was a real opportunity i agree and and I, I don't necessarily want to be down on the pure concept of it but it was just the way they got to the finish line it, it was it was frustrating at how many wrong turns they took and yet anybody who called them out was just shut down or they yeah. were in your case called a liar which is absurd <laughs> It was absurd, but the funny thing was, I had there was a I had a flash of anger, uh, and then I thought, then I just started laughing because I thought, well, this is this is so ludicrous. I'm pretty sure I recorded that interview. I thought they are they're so screwed, because I would I would never have just made anything up. So I just I I remember writing the story. I remember going back to the office, and the, and say you will not believe the conversation I just had with the COO of. Atari I'm like oh is it going to be exciting I said no it's going to be an absolute disaster <laughs> so they're like oh my god well what are you going to write about I said I'm going to write what a disaster it is people are going to love it you know so there was a kind of amusement at the same time I felt originally I thought I've just wasted a basically an afternoon when I could be doing something else but then I thought no this is this is so bad that this is just going to be a fun story and people will read it when um when I, they started being unpleasant to me, there was initial uh, anger. Like accusing a professional journalist of lying is is always going to get under their skin. But then I remembered I'd recorded it, and I then I thought this is going to be so much fun because I can just put the literal recordings of this guy out there, and he and I listened to it, and I realized how badly he came across, and I thought this is going to be a disaster for them. And also, it gets you know I get to say hey professional journalist here um don't do this don't go around calling people fake news or irresponsible trolls you know when this i'm not having that so on that level i, I sort of kind of enjoyed the ability to rub it in their face i don't think it had any strong impact um people still behind it but um i hope they learned 
not to do that. You know, don't, it's just a bad idea to uh, be unprofessional when someone is, is a professional. So I hope they learned that lesson. Indeed, it, it's a level of professionalism, not just toward the media, which is an issue by itself, but you have to figure if they're treating the media like that, how are they looking at their customers? Because as a potential customer of theirs, I don't feel like they treated us with any sort of sense of honesty or respect. No, their communications were, were shameful. It, mm-hmm. was, it, was, it was really bad. Um, and also their PR company, who a pretty good PR company, were really unnecessarily aggressive. Unnecessarily aggressive. And um, I, don't know, I don't know why they did that. I think people just get big ideas. And as soon as they have some money, they imagine that they have power. But that's not really the case. You're going to have power for a very short period of time. But ultimately, people will remember it. I remember everyone involved and how they reacted to people. And their, their credibility is significantly lower uh, from now on. Uh, and, you know, the tech industry is fairly big. The game industry is pretty small. Um, that will count against them for a long period of time. But I think when people have money, they kind of lose track of that and their worst parts of their personality come out. Agreed, agreed. I see a lot of ugliness in these kind of projects and that's, it's very disheartening to me as somebody who does love games because I love games, I love passion projects. I've thrown my money behind a few Kickstarters myself, but you can start to get a feel for who has the, the wherewithal to actually deliver and who's just throwing fishing for ideas fishing for fame yeah it's it's easy it's not hard it's like anything you know it isn't you know it when you see it if mm-hmm. someone is really trying to make a product happen and they're all in on that you can just tell because they're keen to communicate with people they're also the toughest part is taking criticism on board from people who aren't in your organization so that can be very hard because a lot of people won't know what's really going on so it can be very difficult to hear criticism or critiques of what you're doing if you're in the middle of it and if you're working hard. But if someone does do that and they say to people, I hear you and here's what we're going to do about it, that's when you know you've got a strong likelihood of it happening. When people are, when they're listening because they're thinking about the user, they're thinking about their product, that's when you know that there's a pro behind it. If they don't do that, and if and especially if someone critiques it and they start having a go at them, criticism, you know, being attacking them, being personally unpleasant, that's when you know you've got a crazy person behind it that this is about their ego and not about the actual product. So it's not difficult to tell. We all instinctively know it. I think some people allow their biases to ignore what's really going on and the personality types. But in terms of identifying. Uh, someone is going to produce a good product, it's really not difficult. Are their communications good? Are they consistent? Do they update people? Uh, do they listen to criticism in a healthy way? And that's it. And if they're doing that, there's a strong likelihood it'll happen. I can't think of a better place to leave it. That's That pretty much sums up the whole experience perfectly. It was a blast. I mean, it... <laughs> Yeah, they. To be to be fair to them, they it finally existed, you know, and it does have a UI. It's okay. I'm not getting one. Way too, way way overpriced, and massively underpowered. Not good product, but to their 
credit, they actually did produce it and ship it out to people. So I'll, I'll give them that. But my God, I hope they've learned from it. Uh, I agreed. And if, if you happen to want one for whatever reason, it is it is coming your way or you can go get it. And I'm happy yeah. for you to that extent. I, I just think that games have been around long enough. The tech industry has been around long enough. We should have higher expectations for how companies treat their customers. Yeah, there should be. You know, I'd love to think that this people will be a little bit harsher on the next one and the next one. I don't know. People get excited about it. Whenever there's something I think there's going to be a, a fear of ripoff or there's something bad going on, I'll, I'll wade in, put a spotlight on it. Uh, but yeah, I hope everybody collectively learns a bit from this. It was a mess. Indeed. Kieran, I'm going to set link to all your articles in the show notes here. Where can people follow you on social media? Uh, Kieran McCarthy, uh, at Kieran McCarthy. I've also got at Kieran, but that's my, uh, my personal Twitter or at Kieran McCarthy. Twitter is mostly where I am online. I've got pretty much everything, but I tend to avoid it. Uh, but Twitter is where I tend to be. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here, buddy. I had a great time and I would love to have you back anytime. Sure. Good talking. Likewise. I would like to thank Kieran for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, that part of the show where we try to grow our community that takes less than five minutes of your time and costs you nothing, I'd like to go back to all the talk that Kieran and I did about crowdfunding, mostly on places like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. We kind of gave crowdfunding a bad rap during this episode because the example we used was so poorly run. But I am a crowdfunding fan as a concept, and I do like to sponsor crowdfunding efforts that I can truly believe in. So if you have one that you know of that you really like, or that you're running one, please reach out to me at bossigpodcast.yahoo.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the major podcasting platforms, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.